1: Today, we're going to continue our conversation about how to use market research to maximize your profitability. Joining us again today is Laura Troiani, who is the principal at Plan Beyond, which is a boutique marketing agency focused on research, strategy, and operations. Specializing in working with startups and organizations launching new products, Plan Beyond helps brands successfully navigate from idea to launch. And yesterday, Laura and I talked about using market research to nail product and business positioning. And today we're going to continue the conversation by talking about how you can zero in on the ideal product price point. Okay, here's the rest of my interview with Laura Troiani, principal at Plan Beyond. Laura, welcome back to the MarTech podcast.
2: Thank you for having me back.
1: Very excited to continue our conversation. Yesterday, we talked about market research, and we really focused our conversation about figuring out if your brand is going to be successful, if that new product or that new product extension has a market, and how it should be positioned against your customers. How do you do the research to figure that out? Let's say we've got a winner. We've figured out that there is a need, the market is large enough, and we have a product that is going to market. What's the research you need to do to actually figure out how to price the product appropriately to make sure that it's maximizing its profitability?
2: That's always the big tuppy, right? How much do you charge? Seems to be one of the biggest, most challenging parts of any go-to marketing plan. So before we even talk about the number or what the price should be, I think it's always really important to take a step back and say, what should your pricing strategy look like? And a lot of that is based on, well, what's your business strategy or your business positioning? Because that could be everything from saying, well, we are a a product or service that's for the mass market, which would say, well, lower your cost to drive volume. Or you might say, no, we're more of a luxury good. So you'd be focusing on maximizing revenue for every sale you do. So that's one thing that any organization first needs to define before they even talk about the actual price itself.
1: So there's a strategy component here, which is figuring out as part of your positioning exercise, a lot of what we talked about yesterday, if you're going to be elite, have a high price point. If you're going to be the everyman brand, have a low price point so you're affordable to everyone. I get the strategy behind this. But, you know, are you pricing at $9.99? Do you price at $10? Do you price at $1,000? How do you figure out what is actually value-based pricing? How do you figure out what is aspirational pricing?
2: Essentially, what can you actually charge once you figure out what sandbox you want to be playing in? So, you know, there are a couple of different ways of slicing that cake, if you will. I would argue the easiest is, frankly, just doing a competitive audit, It's going out there looking at folks who are potentially direct competitors or maybe tangential competitors. That is, they serve similar customers, perhaps with a different product or a different category, but it's still the same person paying the bill. And looking and seeing well, what are those folks charging and what are they offering in return for that price point? And so that will allow you to see not just from a competitive standpoint, who's out there, but it'll allow you to understand how customers in that space are being anchored today based upon existing products and services.
1: So the first part of your research is going to be understand the competitive landscape, right? You're still kind of in the strategy phase of we want to be a value brand, but let's look at what the other value brands are charging so we can understand how we're positioning against them. Think about the competition, Let's say uh, yesterday I used the idea of creating a CRM for people that are transitioning from full-time employment to consulting practices. There's a couple other CRMs that are out there. There's the Pipe Drives of the world that charge twelve dollars a month, and then there's Salesforce which charges two thousand. And I want to be somewhere in between. How do I figure out whether I should be charging thirteen dollars, two hundred and fifty, or nine hundred?
2: Well, in that case, sure, you can still do some competitive audits and see who those maybe mid-market players are. And specifically, you're going to want to look at what their features and benefits are relative to that price point to see where you play. If you have more robust features, okay, maybe you can play a little bit higher along that price spectrum, maybe fewer features, maybe you're that smaller to mid-market target, lower features. So that's, again, more around the doing an audit, I'd say qualitative approach to tackling this.
1: So if you're inferring that there's a qualitative approach, that means that there has to be another approach, which is quantitative. Where does the math come in to figure out what's actually going to put the most dollars in your pocket?
2: So there are a couple of different approaches that can be taken. And of course, they all come with their pros and cons. So let's you know, talk about what some of those options are. And again, how people weigh those options against each other. So one of the simplest methodologies out there is something called the Van Westendorp.
1: (laughs) You're going to have to say that one again. The Van who's
2: and what? I know. Van Westendorp. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's the guy's name who founded it.
1: The Van Schmoozle
2: Close enough. (laughs) And really what it is, it's arguably the simplest type of pricing research you can do.
1: Hardest name, easiest pricing methodology.
2: Love that irony there, don't you? Yep. And what it lets you do is you ask a whole bunch of folks who fit your target customer profile for questions and only for questions. It's at what price would you consider the product or service to be of questionable quality? And then what price point would it be a bargain or great deal? Third, at what price does it seem maybe a little too expensive? And then at what point is it too expensive that you wouldn't even consider it? And when you ask a whole bunch of people these exact same four questions, and you begin to create a graph. And as you overlap the different lines in the graph, you get an endpoint where the lines meet. And that becomes what is seen as the optimum price, the place at which a business can actually price their product and reap the most benefits. That is, you're pricing it in such a way that people are saying, I'm willing to pay a little bit more than maybe I want to, but I'm still willing to pay for it. So it's a great way to visualize where those sensitivities begin to play.
1: A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. What's the difference when people are answering a survey versus their actions in the real world? I'm only willing to pay $13 a month for a CRM, but when you research the options and you're presented one with that's $49 a month, you still might buy it. How do you figure out whether people are telling the truth in the survey?
2: You got it. In fact, you really hit the nail on the head with the classic downside of this very approach, which is, yeah, it's nice and simple, but arguably it's too simple Because people don't make purchase decisions simply on price alone. There are a lot of other variables that impact that choice. And so, yeah, if you want to keep things simple, go this route. But if you want to go maybe a little bit more complex, but want to be able to capture some of that complexity of decision-making, we got to go to another option.
1: Does it have a simpler name? It sure does. Awesome. Fire away.
2: So that one, or this one rather, is called a conjoint analysis. Or another variation of it is called an adaptive choice-based conjoint analysis. More words, but still easier to say.
1: Still pretty confusing. I hope it's simple.
2: I can make it sound simple. How about that? Yeah, great. <laughs> okay, here it goes. I like to say this one is, imagine you are going to a supermarket and you're in the soda aisle. And I said, hey, you have to pick one thing off the shelf. And you go, uh, okay. Now, I know that you as a consumer are beginning to make a lot of different choices in real time. Yeah, you're looking at price, but you're looking at brand, you're looking at flavor, you might be looking at maybe health benefits or some other type of promotional activity. And in that moment in time, you're weighing all of those different variables and making a decision. That's what a conjoint analysis lets you do. It lets you replicate that experience to a survey population and says, hey, here are a couple of different options. Make the choice you want to make.
1: How is that possible without actually putting somebody through the sales cycle? How are you giving someone a hypothetical of saying, here are all the variables that you need to consider when you're in market? And can you actually get people to fill out a survey that complex?
2: With money, you can make people do just about anything. (laughs) That's really what it is, right? So it's a market research survey, and it's all done digitally. So you give the survey link to people, they click on the link, and on their computer screens, they're going to usually see three or four different options, and they have to choose the option that's most attractive to them. And then the screen will refresh, and then they will choose yet another option that is most attractive to them. So what's happening on the back end is you're beginning to collect all of this different data about what people are picking. And as that data is being collected, you can actually start seeing which features are of most importance or least importance to people as they're making that decision. And then within those features, there's something called levels, which is the different options within that feature. For instance, price is a feature. The level could be one ninety nine, two ninety nine, three ninety nine. And so, as you begin to run this analysis, you get to understand feature importance, but also level importance.
1: Last question I have for you on pricing: When you're going through the pricing exercise, you mentioned one ninety nine, two ninety nine. What are some of the rules of thumb as you're setting your pricing for how it's ended? I've heard that, you know, 99 feels like it is a discount. The number four seems to be a value and a whole number is seemed to be something that has a little bit more trust and authority. Walk me through the mentality of actually setting the price and really how it ends.
2: What you just described is some of that nitty gritty psychology about things like just the decimal point and what you put there. Usually when you're at this level of pricing research you're looking at something a little bit bigger, which is bigger intervals between the price. So for instance, let's say you're ready to launch a new product or service, and you could realistically sell it for $19 or $49. What do you do? So now we're getting away from 99 cents, 49 cents, things like that, and going, what's just general price sensitivity within this category? So there are some rules of thumb with that approach. First things first, you probably don't want to price your item for less than it costs to make it.
1: Generally not a great business strategy, unless it's a lost leader. Gillette's been doing it with razors for years.
2: Exactly. So with those exceptions aside, that helps you set the low end to where you set your price. On the high end, you need to really understand who the customer is, what the marketplace looks like, because you might want to charge a thousand bucks or something. But if everyone else is charging 50, good luck to you. So that begins to set the high range for you as well. So as you begin to do the analysis and you have a lot of different levels then within these different min and max price points, you can really see where folks will fall. Now, of course, everyone wants things that are cheaper. I'm not going to tell you otherwise, and the data never, ever says otherwise. But what the data does allow you to see is, are people willing to take something that's a little bit more expensive? Without dropping off on purchase intent, and frequently, if something is valuable enough, offers enough benefits, people are showing us they're willing to make that trade off of paying a little bit more for something that offers them more in return.
1: I think that the psychology behind pricing is a huge component to it, and you talked about, you know, how do you think about the competition? How do you think about people's sensitivity to different price points? And also, what's the mindset that they have when they're going through the purchasing process? Any last words of advice for those of us who are thinking about pricing or making pricing adjustments?
2: One thing that I always talk about with a lot of clients as they're thinking about pricing is what does your market size even look like? A lot of folks will say, we want to be able to charge as much as we can for something. And maybe they'll get people to buy it. But if you're talking about a category or a product that really attracts a wide variety of individuals maybe it crosses different industries or different socio-demographic groups, then you're talking about something that could really be a volume play. And so I ask folks, hey, what if you were to charge less? Could you attract a bigger market and actually build your business faster and bigger? That's always a tension that I find within organizations. And I think any organization needs to ask themselves, can you take advantage of volume plays? Can you take advantage of market size? Or if we're talking about a smaller, nicher market, do you really have to optimize what you've got? Because you're playing in a smaller pond.
1: It goes back to our first conversation about understanding what you're trying to accomplish, understanding the market that you play in, and what the competition you're looking at is. And pricing is an important component to making sure that you're not only reaching the right customers, but you're providing the right amount of value and profitability for your business. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Laura Troyani, the principal of Plan Beyond, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Laura, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Laura Troyani, L-A-U-R-A-T-R-O-Y-A-N-I, or you can visit her company's website, which is planbeyond.com, P-L-A-N-B-E-Y-O-N-D.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. It's where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Schapp, P-E-N-J-S-H-A-P.